the simple way I say it is, you know, someone wrote your story, your parents kind of started your story, and then at some point you can tear the pages up, keep some chapters, change them, and and start writing your own, and then that's the cycle that will repeat. I'm Jason. And I'm Maddie. And this is Making Sense of Chaos. A podcast about death and dying, love, grief and hope. On our show, we talk to all kinds of people who through various trajectories have found themselves trying to explain the unexplainable. Trying to accept the unacceptable. Trying to make sense of chaos. So my name is Paris Huckstep. I'm a Sydney local. Um, half of my life is spent building a group called Lost Motos, uh, which is for men and motorcycling and mental health. And yeah, I think I would have been, yeah, you know, I can imagine it's probably nine or 10 o'clock sitting in bed, not wanting to go to, not wanting to go to sleep. And I saw one of your posts and there's a really underlying like narrative for me, which is finding and resonating with people that are very open to talk about grief and trauma and death and the things that are scary but make life really interesting and and kind of murky but worth talking about so I thought I've uh I've got some experiences I'd I'd share them do you remember what post no way too long ago (laughs) no chance too many lockdown wines between then and now how dare you Yeah. Maddie puts a lot of work into those posts. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. I know the feeling, especially because yeah, you're trying to put good um, good content out and re- uh, resonate with people. But you know, I was going back through after we, we said we'd chat and I was like, yeah. yes, this is, I remember why yeah. I was like, it was, an in, it was an impulse. I was like, you know what? Yeah. The thing with social media, it's, you can treat it like television sometimes and just feel really detached and then. Sometimes I get on a roll and I start being like, hey, I'm just going to randomly message that yeah. and see what happens. Yeah, totally. I bet, I bet it's another really caring human on the other end. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the cool thing at life. Like you just come across random people who, you know, you end up learning something from. And, uh, yeah, I guess that, that comment you've just made around, you know, death being a, a, a scary topic and it's like, you know, it, like for me it's always been natural instinct to not go there and um even still now doing a podcast on death I don't want to go there but there's something in me that um sort of has to Mm. um although you know and I can I can distract myself from it you know being busy at work or you know um exercise or, or whatever um but you you always do sort of come back to it like it's like always lingering there just waiting (laughs) yeah Yeah. um yes that's sort of that's been my my motivation in a way to to talk about this stuff more um and you you work in mental and psychology in as your job yeah yeah so Jason and I both work in psychology. Um, so, yeah, we became friends working in addiction um, on some random night shifts. Started having these conversations, you know, 
um, and it sort of what one thing led to another and we thought let's let's make this public and yeah. put it into a podcast awesome yeah awesome. yeah that's funny I can I, I'm sure I've annoyed plenty of my university mates on our late nights <laughs> whereas I did architecture and so we'd be middle of the night trying to glue a model together and I'd be like chatting away trying to keep myself entertained and it was like can you stop I'm like oh okay yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for you, where do you reckon that um, desire to go into the scary side of life, um, like where, where did that come from? When did it start happening? Did it happen? Uh, did it force you into it or did you choose to go into it? Uh, how, many, the, how many different ways could I potentially, because I think that's such an interesting thought. Did I, was I forced into it? Maybe because for me, my dad was diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor when I was 17. Um, but in growing up, both my dad was a general practitioner, my mum was a nurse, and the kind of dark humor was, you know, always ebbing and flowing in the family anyway. So in that way, it was kind of introduced, but then it was, you know, really forced. Mm. And it's funny that I, I think back to those times in university at that kind of 17 to 21, 22 age. Um, when I was, you know, gluing those models together late at night and chatting away or just thinking, and I was going through something that was much, much heavier, much sooner than most people would go through it. So for me, I haven't seen death as something that was forced, but it was just something that made was alerted to me at an earlier age than than what is standard practice mm. for the human. Yeah, what was that kind of juxtaposition like doing all these? architectural models and then having that heavier side of things weighing on you as think, well what was it like I think I was I was really intrigued to kind of meld the two in a way I don't think I did it literally or deliberately but I've very much been fascinated with how I come up with ideas or the brain in, in itself comes up with ideas and how we interpret the life around us so architecture okay. has this really beautiful amalgamation of how do you influence humans without them knowing or how do you provide for them and in a way I guess you know potentially over intellectualizing it but somewhat poetic at the same time it felt like that was mirrored in the sense of um you know looking after my dad or getting to understand you know his processes of dying you know and architecture at times was an escape because it was you know university so we're out and partying but then that that juggle I remember specifically actually was being like, oh, why, you know, do I go out and party or, you know, do I go away for a trip with mates if, you know, my dad has somewhere between one and four years to live. Mm. So that was, that was really, really um, emotionally difficult to deal with. And I think something that depending on the time of day or the, the memory is like, oh, I could handle that better or no, I did well. How did how did you make how did you make sense of it all? So you you were quite young and not yeah. knowing the trajectory of your of your father and whether he was yeah. going to. How did you how did you find a way? We were, my dad was really open with talking about um, cancer in general. Or, you know, he educated me a lot in medicine just by being around, and you know, he had quite an open dialogue with his because uh, he owned his own practice and he would come home sometimes and show me pictures of someone's stitches that he'd done or you know, talk about it in that way. So it wasn't, 
in that in that time of so he was alive for four years post diagnosis, and I think we thought at first he'd be it could only be a year because the um, aggressiveness of the common brain tumor is quite high. Um, so, but as time went on from that two to three year period, it was like, well, you know, this is life. What is life? You know, what are we? You know, what are we as a family, or, or you know, um, as a father to a son? Like, what can I help you with? And in the memories that he's left me with or some of the, you know, he wrote me a few letters and things like that. He would, he often references the idea of, I can pick up this, this feeling of, oh, he feels like there's a completion and like, he's got things set up for me to feel happy and healthy and the family in general and, and that sort of thing. So in, in a simpler sense, I think it came down to um, no, like putting it into perspective of was everyone going to, be okay were they physically and emotionally cared for i guess which didn't prepare me for the grief and the trauma of just losing a dad and a best mate you know but at the time that's how it got that's how it got handled which i think was was really good Mm. and and that dialogue was sort of just that continual discussion around that passing the torch sort of that Mm. i think so i like that the passing the torch thing that's that brings back so many thoughts around that time, actually. Mm-hmm. Certainly after after he passed away and I saw a grief counsellor, there was that idea of honouring and, um, yeah, that, that concept of passing the torch. That's so crazy. I hadn't thought about that in so long. Yeah. And the, and the grief, the grief was the grief. You said you weren't necessarily prepared for the grief. What did that look like? Mm. I'm quite a visual thinker, so I'm, trying, I'm actually surprised I don't have a visual thought in my mind. It was definitely a feeling and something that um, I think fin- having just finished uni and, you know, was in a, I was in a relationship at the time. I had all these things that were quite structured that then naturally fell away, like ending of uni, changing relationship, these sorts of things. And you know, I was just like, crap, like what mm-hmm. this feeling of just like, I am totally jettisoned and on my own, which I think I can observe as a common enough feeling for people post uni, but I had this like extra weight. It felt like of, um, I guess that feeling of honoring my dad or passing the torch and wanting to get things right. So for me, it was just like a big sense of I'm grieving, but how do I make it worthwhile? Or, and it's funny, the older I get, the less I have that pressure on myself now. I'm starting to strip that away. Mm. Like, how do I grieve properly? Was that ever a thought? How do I, yeah, or just not feel so crap? You know, how, yeah. do, you, how do you get by, I think? Um, yeah. Something that was that really inspired the Lost Motos idea for me uh, was wanting to actually be able to talk to my mates about, like, death and be like, because mm. they, they didn't know, you know, this this really common feeling of, um, oh, I'm sorry for your loss, but mm. at 20, we don't even know what that means and we don't even know what that feels like. And it just feels like there were a lot of social conventions that you try to follow when at the end of the day, I would be happy if a mate would just say, I have no fucking idea what you're going through. <laughs> are, you, yeah. are you like, you seem okay. It's, it would be more worse when they would be worried that I wasn't doing well. And you, when you're a 20-year-old 21 year old male you kind of want your mates to be 
backing you and thinking you're a legend. So it's kind of this um, weighing up of of that, which is which is really amazing to to think back on now. Actually, like it's such a I'm 29 now, so there's a huge maturity shift. I think yeah, in seeing that, I can see myself as a 20 21 year old now, having gone through that, rather than me personally mm. going through. I can there's a feeling of detachment being like, yeah, that's a lot for a kid to go through. That's a lot. Mm. Do you remember any particular conversations that you tried to have with friends when you were that 20 year old in those initial stages of just figuring out what was happening and figuring out how to you know, keep going through each day? Do you remember any initial conversations? I would remember like, I can remember small bits of nights out where we'd be talking or, you know, someone would, usually someone would trip up and be like, make a reference to family or or their dad or something. And then they'd feel really bad. And that's when I'd be like, Hey, you know, like it's okay. Or I'd try and make a joke and they would be mortified. Yeah. 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 I'd be like, no, it's fine. Like they're like, I love this place. I'm like, Oh, my dad liked that place too. Like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, it's fine. He's dead. He can't go go again. That's, that's like he's eating it. Yeah. And they'd be like, "Oh, what do I do now? Like, I'm not. I'm not helping. Why am I having to look after your grief?" Yeah. <laughs> and then you probably end up comforting them for feeling awkward. And yeah. 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 For sure. It's so funny, isn't it? Because it's like it's death is something that's going to happen to all of us. Yet everyone wants to pretend that it doesn't really exist or like they, they want to like oh no don't stay away from that topic <laughs> yeah for sure yeah well, yeah it's almost as though everyone's so protective of it at the same time it's just that, you know we, yeah. we, we can't we, we can't go there because if we go there you know who, who knows where that leads you know we, we you know, for some people take that pragmatic approach you know it'll happen when it happens do you find over the average of interactions that you guys have patients or clients or have you turn it that is there one answer or two answers that are more common in that relating to death in being pragmatic and or is it I guess my question being is there how, how many people are quite open to it or don't shy away don't look at it is it in either the pragmatic lens or the taboo lens do you find it I'm guessing I'm guessing because you're having more of those emotional sorts of conversations more often Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. So how, how many do you, how many think about it in terms of this is what I have to do and these are the steps I have to follow or how many of it just go into like the explosive void? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I guess there's, I don't know, it's hard to tell. I haven't seen that many people, um, I guess, you know, who, who've come to therapy at that stage where they're, willing or or just able to talk about um their grieving i think it's such a it's such a um closeted thing that even people might think it's not deserving of therapy sometimes um but you know i do remember a few experiences with people where um they were scared of just everything opening up so they did want to contain their feelings somehow or yeah, make, make it almost like, okay, got to tick these boxes and um, and then 
sort of found like, okay, well, there's still stuff that's bulging underneath this that's coming out and probably do need to open it up more. And yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, that you've reminded me of that feeling of um, not wanting to unleash it. Yeah. Right when dad was diagnosed was right when I was going through HSC and I was really into um, creative writing at that point. Yeah. And I almost put a stop on it. You know, I would, mm. my teachers would help, helped me kind of, I don't know, however they gave me a mark. Like they knew where I was, my trajectory. But I was just like, I don't want to write something that some person that I don't know is going to mark this essay. Mm. And there'll be something that, and this is how, maybe it's the child mind or the adult mind or just the human mind, but I just had this feeling of, oh, they'll figure out that I'm great. Like my dad's sick and that it's all falling apart and that I'm, I'm, you know, not doing well or something like that. So, but then when I think about it, of course they wouldn't read through that, that mm. set of metaphors because they're reading a, a thousand papers and they also aren't looking to judge someone's um, creative writing on, on that level. But it's that was certainly a really, really strong emotion. Yeah, yeah, and it makes sense, you know. Like, there's that fear of, um, I guess, yeah, what what would happen if they did figure out that this is what I'm going through? Then where would that lead? And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. What What about for you, Jace? Like, have you had any experiences with um, people that you were working with? Um. Mm. I really like the question, Paris, because I think that that, well, I like the question because you put it back on us, which is really good. Um, and I think uh, uh, from from what I've seen, you see a lot of the, not so much the the, the inward discussion or in, inward contemplations with death, but you see a lot of those mechanisms that protect people from going to that place. Mm. Okay. So, you know, that could be a really strong preoccupation with, with something in particular. So something, you know, could, could present as something quite anxious or quite sort of preoccupied around, let's just say, I mean, it could, it could, it could be anything, you know. It could be, we, we work in the substance field, so it could be this occupation that they need sort of substances to survive. Mm. And that's is a great sort of mechanism to protect them from even going into that space where they have to contemplate the helplessness and the sort of aloneness that comes with, you know, actually cognitively coming to terms with the fact that one day they won't be there. Yeah. And it's, I think everybody does it to a certain extent, but it's really fascinating when, you bring up a conversation around death or dying and it's people can intellectualize it quite well, but they will do everything they can to protect themselves from it. And that could include mm. intellectualizing it. Yes. Um, yeah. and, and I think partly that's to do with the fact that the discussions are just not outwardly had amongst people, humans. Yeah. Mm. Hits that point where you're at the you know, bedside of someone, or maybe not even then. Maybe you don't get fortunate enough to have that moment. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I really, that's the defensive mechanism of intellectualizing it is even something I still try and make sure I, I don't commit that too often, you know, mm. where it turns to 
Yeah, I thought I think you, Jason, you raised a good point where that defense and because we might not have the time or it might not be only when we are beside the significant person, loved one, whoever they are. Um, and I, but I can also think that it's the fact that so often we're not crying in front of our friends, you know, we're not being tearful because to be, it's almost like the only way we do bring up death in our culture is to be extremely intellectual because we look about it like, oh, how can we improve quality of life or conversations or how can we market it better? But, you know, the, the biggest times I've had real, the ones that stick in my brain are when I've even myself or witnessed it with other people with that I know well enough that they cry and you go, that's them feeling whatever that grief is or, you know, the, the, the lack of access to a drug or, you know, the lack of access to friends or whatever they're suffering or a job or, um, yeah, allowing that, that to, to be expressed in emotions in a more public setting would be, would be incredible. Yeah. So I guess that's what you're doing with your charity, right? Like you're allowing all that emotion to just come to the table. Trying. <laughs> Trying. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, you know, I think, I miss the the ease of conversations with uh, women sometimes where, you know, that access to an emotional sense is a lot easier sometimes with getting mm. the guys, getting guys excited to share can be a bit difficult um, mm. or even just attend sometimes. Um, so I start half the time. I'm not sure if it's something that I'm not doing right for getting things organized or if, if it's just our tendency towards yeah, being well, a bit more closed off. What, what, what do you think that is, Paris? What, what do you think it is about men in particular that, um, that, that, that are not able to communicate there? Because it's clear that the, the landscape from emotionality and, and pain is, is there, but why it's so difficult to even verbalise. You wonder what happens behind closed doors as well. Yeah. You know, really, because you know, um, we know, we know anyone in men's mental health knows that you know our age group, Paros, is you know number one cause of death in uh, you know suicide is number one cause of death, um, and that's just quite profound and quite frightening to think that that's that exists that that yeah. fact exists. Yeah, and that's followed closely uh, in second place by road accidents and um, the correlation of self-harm with you know going out for a fast motorcycle ride or a car drive or something like that the mechanisms of accidents also correlate to being you know almost one in the same um you know risky behavior and things like that um but the to that idea of men it's hard because it's almost it's becoming more of my world now so in a way i don't think men can't communicate it and it probably goes back to our point earlier about uh, the ability to intellectually engage versus emotionally engage. And one of our facilitators, Tony, does such a fantastic job of really, um, I just watch him engage on a different level that kind of gets the guys to storytell a bit and then find something a bit out of the story and, and pulls on that string a bit. And that creates the layers of um, of breaking down that that armor that they're wearing um i can also think to the 
to um, a little bit more specifically with lost motors talking about motorcycles, but I think it could be said the same for a football club or surfing, whatever you're into. I've really noticed guys will go deep on something quite quick. They're willing to kind of jump in if they're, if they trust you. And then if momentum stalls or they're not sure of how to phrase something, or they're a bit worried they've kind of overshared, um, if there's a shared interest between the two people talking or the person in the audience, they jump back to that. It's kind of like this safety net. So a guy will be like, yeah, you know, I just, I don't know how I'm going with my wife and she doesn't listen to me and, and I don't know what to do. And I really appreciate you guys, you know, listening about that. And um, yeah, so but it's good to be out on a ride with you guys. I've really enjoyed taking my bike out. And it's amazing because the guy's done the job of sharing. It's yeah. just that he didn't, he hasn't practiced getting to the end of that road yet and doesn't know that you can just kind of pull over and that's okay. Let, let it dissipate rather than you don't have to be like, oh shit, I better like pack everything up quickly. It's like, it's all right. But, but he's never walked down that far down the road before. Like I think, you know, depending where someone's practiced talking about what they've spoken about, you can see that some people are good at starting the conversation and they're a bit better at expanding on it. And then hopefully we can show guys rounding them out and then bringing it up again at another time. And that's, I'm starting to see that with some of my closer friends. I'm like, they'll reference only happened last night. Um, We are out for our first beer post lockdown. And someone was like, yeah, actually the last few weeks have have been like they were when I um, first met you. And I was like, okay, I get that context. I understand what you're saying. So, because I was there and you described it to me two, three years ago versus now Mm. so that's my that's my way of answering that without the very also common factor the vocabulary around um psychology is limited in knowledge but i think that'll quickly shift with the amount of teaching that's going to schools Mm. fascinating because i I mean the the way you described it is that sort of there's that there's that end (laughs) there's that almost they, they hit a point and then retract and yeah, you see that it's it's. I mean, I I think Maddie and I are both smiling because it's it's you, you see it everywhere, and it's 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 almost like it's this this deep. Our question like, what is it? Is it this this deep fear of being uncontrolled, just you know, spiraling into a space psychologically where you know that person may it could be as simple as that person may not. Um, be able to, uh, I suppose, understand or contextualise what the person is trying to say, or it could be that fear of rejection, or that could be that fear of sort of un- unimportance. Um, and and it's, it's it's really the way you described it about you even sort of did it as if you know um, the way the way I've seen it as well, where they sort of retract verbally, and um, it almost I, I think of a sort of a, a child sometimes when I when I when I when I witness a, a child sort of retracting in yeah. or, or going to that safe place. Yeah, yeah. Where they, where they can't be hurt or exposed. Um, yeah, you put it perfectly. Yeah, yeah. What are, What are your thoughts, Matt? Have you, do you, do you? Yeah. No, I I definitely seen it. Um, friends or you know people I've dated and um I 
I, yeah, I always wonder what's behind it. Is it, uh, you know, sometimes I think, is it, is it like that they think the other person won't fully get where they're at, so it won't be worth them keep going? Mm. Like, oh, well, shit, I'm being really open here, but, oh, I don't actually know if this person knows what I'm talking about or is on the same page, so I'm just going to quickly go back. Yeah. Yeah. Um or maybe it's something else. Maybe, maybe it's also that, like, what we were talking about earlier, like that fear of, of um, everything opening up and not necessarily having an answer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm right with you on that. Because I think in a way it's, um, there's that vulnerability element or, you know, however that's, that comes across for that person. Hmm. And, like, and then does open up a whole world where, or, darkness that hadn't been before and I'm just thinking it might be a bit of a stretch to say but it, it feels like the same way the conversations around death kind of happen it gets to a point mm. where we're used to the conversation of life happening or the yeah. conversation of the pub that happens and then you've stepped into an unknown space and we go I have no idea what happens after this mm. and that's really you know we're uncomfortable as a as a society as our society I, and you know that western sense i've been doing a lot of listening and reading about eastern philosophy recently and and understanding that that concept of death afterwards we're, we're changing how we relate to it. it used to be the church sense that we're going to go to heaven and we're, we're going to be rewarded there and it'll be good but we're coming into question now we don't know if that's what we get and so we go what, what do we get <laughs> i don't know i'm not okay mm. with not knowing <laughs> mm. Well, you've set up a firework there because I think Maddie and I both are very much uh, into that sort of, I think we're, we're the same, we've got that intrigue around sort of the Buddhism practices. Yeah. This is around meditating on your, um, we, Maddie and I get to do it together, but meditating on your on your own dead body, you know, your own, your own corpse and, you know, being yeah. able to actually visualise and, and actually go through um that in a meditative state and and what that what that brings up what that what that frees you from in, in, mm. in, in, is there um, any is there any like do you use a guided meditation to do that is there a, a specific thing or do you yeah, like yeah I'd love to it, know because i do yeah sorry there is a few yeah no there, yeah. There, there are a few but it's more about sort of they have sort of different outlines that you can go through so it's more around um, going through a set of steps or sort of basic principles that are around sort of, um, you know, realistically how, how alone we are as human beings and that we die alone and that we decay alone. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I mean, I, I personally find it quite powerful to do when I am lost in the cycle of life, that the, 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 the parts of life that consume you, you know, the it's just what we're talking about, you know, the lock, lockdown, for example, the, the consumption yeah. of, you know, your your ability to escape is no longer there in many ways. So you're, you're forced to deal with, you know, yourself in your own mind, your own thoughts. And to me, there's no better way to be able to meditate on your own death while you've got all this free time and exposure to yourself. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, so there's not there's not a there's not a sort of a set way to sort of you know meditate on your on you know on death, but the actual I find that the actual meditation on 
visualizing or trying to visualize the decaying process of your body. I, if you had told me that I would go down that path five, six, seven, eight years ago, um, I probably would would have been quite concerned about my mental health. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would have made fun of myself. I'm like, you loser. Like, why do you yeah. need that? Just get on with life. Yeah, like, it's not that are. hard. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I, 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 it's so, like, you, you remind me of a really spe- specific story my dad told me just while he was alive. It's not a long story, but it was like he'd gotten a van and he, he like, he'd bought a little V-Dub van and, and, went for a drive and, and slept in overnight. He's like, I can't do that again. It's like, it reminded me of being in a coffin. Mm-hmm. And um, that, as I thought that, that still kind of, I don't, I give him a lot of credit just for having said that, because I don't know what that's like when you're living with a terminal illness, knowing that your death's impending when we're f- young and healthy and we're, we're using it in a fantastic way, which is to look at, put it in perspective again and be like, we're trying to do a million podcasts or we're trying to start a business or we're trying to just mm. get by and like my boss is being a dickhead, like whatever. Mm. It's nice to be reminded that that's all going to go away. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but then, you know, it's, it's juggling the two. And I guess that in itself is a lot of the beauty around the conversations around death. It's both at the same time. It's a, it's an ending of life, but it's also, ret- uh, and I, I want. I wish I could claim this is my own. I'm pretty sure this is Alan Watts saying it. Um, you return. You return to the nothingness that you came from. Yeah. So the life. Life is the blip. Yeah. Not the other way around. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're you're, you're bringing up all these things. With, <laughs> so are we, we going to go on a wormhole? We, way around, like, <laughs> no, no. Within an hour. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because that exact quote that you just said. Um, Paris is is, we Jason I have talked about that exact quote from Alan Watts and um there's another one I wouldn't be surprised if you (laughs) you know this one too but um one of my favorite songs and there's this quote in it um that everyone you know will die and I just think it's (laughs) such a cool quote like all your friends are gonna die everyone's gonna die like we're we're all just here for like an interim period say like 100 years or something with lots of different crossovers with new generations old generations leaving and um yeah I guess it's um it's it's freeing when you when you think about it like that yeah yeah Yeah. I'm so happy like that we're all having sitting around having this chat because I, I it's hard to it's hard to have it's yeah, not yeah. hard like I want yeah. to but it's like oh I don't want to like would I bring this up you know at the pub probably after <laughs> my third drink I would <laughs> <laughs> what would happen because sometimes like I mean Maddie and I Maddie and I have got friends that where you, you could probably that would be a norm someone to say something like that outburst around the nothingness of life. That would probably yeah. be, especially in, in our small group. But if you said that outside of, you know, if you said that at maybe even our work, Maddie, or you said that a group of men, or you know, yeah, you know, we're going to be sent back to the nothingness, you know, or anything to do with nothingness or death, or you know, people, people, you know, lift an eyebrow, you know, it's it's you know, not only do they not know what you're talking about, they also think this there's a some sort of delusional you know yeah yeah it's um when realistically it's 
it's the only thing that we do know that one day we won't exist. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's it. Um, I don't know. I don't why. Yeah, I've, I don't worry too much. Like if I, I say hold, I say things to embarrass myself all the time. So maybe I'm just used to it. So people lift their eyebrow and go, cool, you're probably not quite the person I need to be talking to right now. I should not try something else. It's a great test though. It's a great like simplifying of friendships test. So, you know, you yeah. weed, weed out the ones that maybe they're not, they're not thinking in, in a way that you find interesting or vice versa. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I guess just going back to that stuff around, you know, we're all going to die and and that's that's beautiful in a way. Um, I guess, you know, either of you can answer this, but I'm interested in sort of um, the way that when people watch others die in their family or friends um, kind of teaches you, or gives you some inspiration about how you might want to die. Mm. Um, like I know with my grandma, when she was dying, she, she also had cancer actually. Um, this was a few years back and she, she just stayed like the same, um, pettiness, superficialness that she always had through life, which I just thought was great. Like she made sure that she had her nails painted when she was in her last rounds of chemo makeup done. She called it her war paint. She, wow. she looked she looked like an amazing supermodel going into palliative care and would just yeah. you know be making like jokes with the nurses about <laughs> random stuff and just being herself and you know um, buying everyone random gifts and um, we just thought that was great because it was it's she stayed her hilarious self and um, yeah so. I guess yeah, that authenticity for me, not not becoming like maybe what books or movies would tell you to become, um, but being being yourself. And yeah, for you, Jace, Power, is anything that you've learned from other people um, dying around you that you want to sort of take to your own death? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm interested in sort of Power's experience with his father and mm. in, in, in how they sort of. What, what that looked like in, in, in the last sort of moments or the last days or weeks? Yeah. Um, this is something I haven't... No, you know what? I love the fact that I think you're the only person that's asked me that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it means a lot to be able to actually be able to reflect on it outside of just journaling or asking myself that question. Um, not even because sh- we shared the room with my auntie and uncle and my dad's parents uh, as well. They're still alive, still gone. Um, and, and my stepmom at the time. And, um, and it was tough because it, I'm just thinking in the last like day, like as dad moved on, died um, and seeing and feeling everyone's different reactions to wanting him does not be in pain anymore. And me as at that age, I distinctly remember that feeling of wanting to kind of like you hold on to your parents' hand that little bit longer. You're just like, oh, I just want you, don't, don't leave me yet. I'm going to go to school or whatever, like that feeling. Um, but in the week or what month or however long was the palliative thing, it was quite a while. Maddie, you make me laugh because it's all those things that I loved. Like we snuck pizza in through the back door because <laughs> we're in a, 
were in a Jewish hospice. And so oh. they were they were very strict on the, the food front. But dad won all the nurses over in like 24 hours of being there and was just being his charming self. And so sure enough, you know, they were like, okay, you can bring that in. Or, you know, the the rules didn't quite apply. So um my family's also Jewish, so they would respect that. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Wait, respect the rule breaking or yeah, respect, respect the pizza. Yeah, exactly. I think that's it. Like it's <laughs> yeah. it's probably maybe that's the, the beauty of it. It's like we kind of need the rules to break yeah. um to make it fun and to yeah. be to show what that person's about because maybe breaking a rule for someone would be like something really simple and and, and something that we'd all be like, oh do it anyway, who cares? But then some mm. of it's like, yeah, I'm you know I I, I think about you know, I, I look back and it's a recommendation I, I rarely get to make to people, but I would say play more music because mm. as someone's dying, it's one of the last things, one of the last senses they can still hold on to. And I could think in the last, I would love to have like a good playlist for my last 24 hours. Mm. Um, it would be pretty solid. It, it I, I'm going to steal someone else's um kind of, quote an idea around this because it's something that's rocked me i think because I, I heard it during this lockdown but john o'donoghue is a um irish poet philosopher and he was a, a priest or bishop or something like that for a lot of his life as well but also has that uh meditation mixed into his teachings but he talks about the idea that threshold of death being really important for the person dying like a lot of the times it's you might have the sister or the brother or the whatever or the mum getting a bit hysterical and if they are get them out of the room and and come back to the focus on the person who's dying because that this is their event and you'll have the rest of your life to to work on the grief Uh, Mm. but being there and being with them is incredibly important and that's why when I think back to it there's there's things like damn like I really should have just broken the rules more or you know, said what I, you know, I think dad might want or, you know, maybe it's not right to matter, but, you know, it's definitely, mm-hmm. definitely a huge part. That's beautiful uh, reflection, you know, to just keep breaking the rules and probably saying, you know, that you're carrying with you throughout your life now. And that goes back to that whole passing the torch thing and that, that experience taught you this, that you, you want to be breaking the rules more or, yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess also interested if if you when you're watching your dad die, if if he taught you anything um, about you know the way that you want to die. No, I don't think he did. Bastard! I don't think he, he taught me nothing. He taught me a lot of things. He didn't quite teach me that. My reflection on it would be that like he could um, he could. Or I could um, be more accepting of death. It felt like there was, he was young, man. He was like 53. So I kind of understand, like, he was, he was annoyed, you know, that felt, I kind of, if I had to pick an energy, there'd be a bit of annoyance at that. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, yes, yeah, I mean, probably just get the nurses on side would be the best one. The, the cheeky grin, that would help. I think, I think getting that that team, the people looking around, looking after you, or just be you. I mean, that was him. So in that way, mm. it's just like 
If you like your grandma and want to paint your nails and get <laughs> yeah, your makeup yeah. done, well, then bloody well demand it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Try not to, I guess, try, but that's it's almost like life. Try not to be embarrassed about yeah. whatever you need. Yeah. Because that's, you know, I could see that, you know, in and around that space. I also would love to be in a really nice garden. I had quite a nice garden there. I mm, think um, that nature, connection to yeah. nature is really, really important because it goes back to your point, Jason, about that um, de- decomposing and being part of that process. That process, I think, is incredible. Um, architectural nuance, metaphor, symbol to have. Definitely, yeah. I, I, um, I want to sort of go back to that sort of that notion, sort of Maddie sort of brought up around that. You know, you can put it in different ways that like the legacy that the person left or the or the sort of the synergy of the father dying. N- now as a 29-year-old, how do you how do you view your 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 father now? So you, there's obviously been quite a you know many years that have passed. Is there is there a gaping hole there? Is there is there is there is there a, is there a missing link in, in your life at the moment? you know, other than the, the obvious? Um, oh, my clarifying question would be because um, I kind of get, get the, the feeling of the, the void, mm-hmm. um, but that you're saying, is there anything I'm, I'm missing? Is it uh, in the sense of like in having, like not having a dad there or is it, or can I just go free, free reign with that? Is there anything? Yeah, okay. no, yeah nothing literal about it, just free for all, mm-hmm. whatever you interpret that to be to me yeah, yeah, yeah i um it ebbs and flows i i i get it like i'm gonna go to a wedding which is incredible on the weekend like first weekend out friends are just like we're going for it so <laughs> it's at it's at those times that i then go shit this yeah. this is gonna happen in the future um you know or again friends getting having kids now and um that's that that's the hardest that's the real void that's like the i don't need i don't feel like i need him for anything like there's been a real sense of growth and unearthing of my values that are separate from his over the times like i kind of fell into the the whole i think that when you that idea of passing the torch can feel very burdensome like a burden um on needing to very literally carry it but it's actually more the ideas or the the um you know so uh, the simple way i say it is you know someone wrote your story your parents kind of started your story and then at some point you can tear the pages up keep some chapters change them and and start writing your own and then that's the cycle that will repeat um so you know i do i i race a motorcycle as like a hobby um which is something I reflected on for quite a while about, am I just putting myself at risk uh, in a really dangerous sense uh, to come to terms with life, but it has turned out to just be a very innocent way of um, doing something I love. Um, but I see dads at the track and they help their, their son there. And that's again, something I'm like, damn, you know, like, and I, I, when it happens, I just kind of allow that emotion to well up a lot. Like I might, see it and be like, oh, I have to take a few deep breaths or maybe I mean, my, my eyes do well up a bit and not a lot of people will see that or know that. And that's okay. Like, it's not like I'm 
necessarily hiding it, but I'm also understanding that when those moments happen, that that's my connection to my dad. Mm -hmm. That's him saying hello, uh, whether you want to believe in a ghostly idea or, or not, it is still my imagination of him and him being evoked that's evoking that emotion. So certainly a, a really powerful sense in that death and grief and that cycle of understanding is that it's whatever's real for you, even if it's a feeling is still real. And so you can I honor that all the time. I, I love it. He, every now and then he'll come into a dream. I'm like, I only wake up. I'm like, what a legend. Like, that's so cool. I haven't, I haven't seen him in, I haven't seen him in eight years, you know? And um, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to when I turn 53, like, Mm-hmm. I will have my mind and body at 53, but he'll remain that, which mm-hmm. trips me out. Yeah. Whereas my, my granddad is 88 and he, he's always, you know, I've seen him age and he will continue to age. But, you know, I think there's something fascinating about um, dying young, you know, as much as sometimes it is a tragedy and, um, if we if we're going to take on that concept of death in its in all of in all of its senses, you know, there's there's a real element of understanding that that person is their life is a complete now, and it's, it is what it is. Whether that mm-hmm. was 20, 30, 50, 80, whatever years. I love that it's like a sort of a, a pause in time, a pause mm-hmm. in eternity. You, you, you can't go back. It's so. If, if you know if we there's no guarantees if that you'll make it to 53 there's no guarantees that we'll make it you know, next week but mm. what what do you think what do you think will come up for you at that at that point what, what could you hypothesize now i don't know and i love that i don't know um mm. because as because if i asked myself like when i was when dad died at, and it was like three weeks of my 21st birthday, I was like, I cannot imagine what next year will be, let alone, I don't even know if I'll get to 30. Not in the, in the, in the malicious sense of that, but in the sense of like, what the hell am I now? What the hell am I going to become? And, and all these things. So say 23, 24, 25 years from now, um, the only thing I can imagine is that I'll continue to do that same thing, that same reflective process of being like, oh, wow, this is, this is different. But I, I see it in in getting to know um, men of all ages. Like I, I kind of, I see them and I'm like, oh, that guy, they'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm 53 or 55 or whatever. And they've got a son of a similar age. I'm like, ah, that's probably what that'll look like. They're pissed off at them. Like their, son, their son didn't do the thing. Like they're just, it's just normal life. And hopefully there's more opportunity for me to be self-reflective and enjoy the moment more in that meditative sense that we've spoken about. Um, and just enjoy the life at the time it is. But I, I reckon I'll probably just be overworked, tired, slightly fat, all the all the general dad options that <laughs> the, the declining but, body. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'd like for it not to be the case. You know? Yeah. It just seems like part of the process. Yeah. The, I do love that question there. But we'll you know, I'll check back in with you. I'll give you, we'll do another podcast in 25 years. I'm checking. <laughs> yeah, we'll still be going. Well, hopefully it's still be going. Maybe one of us. Hopefully. Yeah. 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 <laughs> International yeah. bestsellers by then. 
do that. Joe Rogan would have moved on by then. You can take over. Yeah, we, exactly. You'd be happy with that, Maddie, wouldn't you? Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess to um, sort of wrap it up, um, I know I've got one last question, Jace. Do you have anything else? No, if, if I'm it's honest, been on your like, mind. Well, there's, there's, there's so much. There's so many like. <laughs> there's we could go a million paths. It's called the path theory. Jason and I have this theory. We have a lot of um, theories that we've come to with the podcast. Um, the path theory is one of mine. It's, it's probably the best <laughs> one, um, and it basically <laughs> involves the fact that in any conversation, you could take a million paths. Right, and maybe yeah, more, infinite, 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 infinite paths, and and me being the annoying me, I'm like, oh, I'm annoyed we went down that path and not that path, and we could have gone that path. <laughs> so it's just like you have to be okay with the annoyingness of not reaching every path. Yeah, I will use that. I love that. <laughs> I'm I suffer the same thing, Maddie. It's like. <laughs> Like and I'm terrible. Like no, no, no. Let me get it back on that path. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My path this way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jason's sitting there looking like, oh god, I've lived that too many times. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. No, well, that's where the theory comes from. Usually, it's personal experience or observation. See, I've got but another my- convert to the theory, and and that's the thing. Like, you can never fulfill. But but I also think, like, on a serious note, it's it's beautiful that we were just able to get in touch. I mean, to be honest, you didn't really seem real over Instagram. I, I probably didn't seem real either. But it's just you know, someone coming up in your messages. You're like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's see if this actually happens. And we've just had such a beautiful conversation, and and so many things so many like ways of thought that that I've been having Chase has been having um yeah. that you're you're also having and I, I just I'm think it's it just the same yeah yeah it's just so cool how the world is like that where the, those encounters happen and yeah I think that maybe that there's a reason that they happen and yeah it's um but yeah I guess my my last question where where to from here like where what's 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 life about um at the end of the day you know where, uh, which parts are you like, gonna pick <laughs> at the moment i'm yeah. really loving um just motorcycles in general like i grew up with them um, yeah. so it's been really nice to do that i'm really obsessed um at the moment and what got me through lockdown was uh reading and i kind of discovered this I gave myself a thesis of why do we risk having uh, riding a motorcycle? Why do we risk the ride and not the conversation? So I am kind of obsessed with this concept of what is a conversation or what does it mean for guys to open up and what does it mean to ride my motorcycle and to ride really like I'm going to the racetrack tomorrow and um, you know, all these sorts of things. So I'm just going to continue this journey of like, excitement and love for things like i'm like you just said that sometimes it can feel really unreal with what we're doing like the three of us sitting here um but then the amount that i've just spoken to my phone to get by and pretend like my friends are with me and just put as an instagram story has made a lot of it a lot of the distance feel a lot smaller so if i'm 
willing to risk having these like open chats. Funnily enough, risking the I didn't even mean to make that <laughs> that work, but risking the conversation with more and more people. It's just making life actually feel like that blip that we're talking about. And so it's like, I can't have this conversation if I'm lying in the dirt somewhere. So I may as well make the most of it for now. That's living. And it took me a long time to learn the English language as a baby. So I got, (laughs) not act literally, I mean, as a baby, I couldn't learn English. Now I can. Okay, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Back to the the path theory. Everyone get on this path because I've found this one I want everyone to talk about with me. They're like, no, no, I'm going to another path. I'm like, oh, okay. We enjoy that one then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that that's really a special way of putting it like that. And I, I was just talking to Jace before we started about um, this thing I read that someone was saying, like, if you've got all your senses, you've got access to the world. It, you that That's all you need. Like, you, you've got access to life with your senses. So you know ability to hear speak um like smell things and yeah yeah, that's that's maybe maybe it's that simple and yeah huh what if you don't though then you it's a good question you'd find you'd find another way to be alive but um i don't know if one's better than the other but it's an act like where we've got this privileged access to the world with all our senses. So enjoy them. Mm. For sure. Yeah. You're going to ask me if I've got another question, aren't you? Well, no, you. <laughs> well, well, I said, uh, no, there's an intensity about me at the moment, other than the fact that I feel like I'm. Lost well, in the go on, say your. Describe <laughs> describe your thoughts. Yeah, you, you're you're like coming out of the void yourself. Like lost in the void. Um, but I am lost in the void because I haven't got a. It's, it's not a question that's coming up for me. It's more of a um, sort of a, an, an emotion of um, this. You know, like when this podcast sort of ends or when this sort of discussion ends, part of me doesn't want it to end. And and that, and that's 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 quite rare for me um, to happen in in, in, a, in a discussion. Um, it happens quite a lot when I'm talking with with, with Mads about a lot of different things, but it's rare that there's a sort of a conversation that you, you know you want to keep having because yeah. um, usually I'm sort of that sort of person that's okay. I've had enough of that. I'm wrapping this up. You know, time to end it. Um, and that happens quite quick for me. So I think I just sort of wanted to put that out there. Um, and I, I think a lot of that is to do with, you know, you've not only sparked a lot of different paths, there's a lot of um, similar sort of philosophies and interests. And I think, um, you know, there's, there's the Alan Watts thing, the, the Buddhism thing, the death thing, the, the men's sort of focus and, you know, trying to help a brother out, you know, that's, that's powerful stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it's very it's rare. It's rare to consume your life with it um and actually do something about it like what you're actually doing is actually quite powerful because you're not you're not just intellectualizing it and thinking about it you're actually putting that into into the world it's seriously bloody cool yeah yeah and jason that's yeah thank you for saying that in that way there's sometimes yeah it doesn't need to be that question and it's funnily enough i had the same feeling like this is like 
this was like a really good first date. So you're like, <laughs> hold on. Um, can yeah. we like, I, and you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to like keep this conversation rolling. I feel like I'll just spam you guys with ideas or we'll keep the conversation going in chats. And it's just like, that's what we can do. You know? It's just keep being interested in each other. And I feel that with, with these, with this conversation with you guys. So it's, yeah. it's a good, it's a good way to put it because it's been a long time, probably not as long as maybe that I've been on a good day. So I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it, it is one of those things you feel like you, you want, you want more. And I think it, it's greater than just us as well. It's the conversation. It's yeah. the, it's the depth of the conversation and the, in the, I don't know, the, the authentic, authentic sort of nature of it. I think it, it, yeah, it, for it's sure. real. It just feels like, what else are we going to talk about? Like, yes, we want to go to the pub. Yes, you'll be like, you got to do the things that the human body will like to do. Because I'm with you. I haven't been on a date in quite a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Struggle over here. Yeah. Yeah. But But it's true. Like, we could talk about, like, I remember, you know, when I called you and I was like, yeah, I mean, we don't really know each other. We'll talk about lockdown. That's the commonality. But it's so boring. And it's like, we were both probably thinking, oh, God, okay. And, you know, I find myself with a lot of people probably just having too many of those conversations that are sort of there is a plan, there is a structure, you know, you you know you'll feel comfortable in it because you know the content already. And, um, yeah, I think it's just sort of it's it's like bringing that home that you you need to explore the other path. (laughs) Um, I mean, if it's, it's a risk, and I like the, I really like the way that you put it, Paris. It's, it's it's such a risk. A lot of men would probably prefer to to I don't know, drink or whatever self destructive behaviour than to actually just be who they are, and and that's um, I think that's what you're you're changing with with what you're doing, which is um, amazing. So it will probably be like you know someone gets benefit from it and then then in their own life they benefit other people with their new authentic sense of self and then that has a flow and effect and flow and effect flow and effect so yeah anyway totally i'm i'm ranting no, no, but I'm, this is what i mean we could <laughs> yeah. get ranting like it's like yeah, yeah okay but at some point we have yeah. to go home but we're yeah. already home already. um yeah. i mean yeah, yeah it's it's i'm i'm right with you i in fact like I, to give us all a good feeling i'll be down in um victoria and heading because there's some i want to get down to phillip island and do a bit more training and things down there so i'll definitely be hunting you guys down once i'm in the, once I'm yeah. in the state let's do a catch up yeah cool. yeah sounds good human to human podcast holy shit <laughs> 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 yeah yeah i'd love it absolutely love it <laughs>